we're coming this morning to study the Word of God together. And I want to welcome you to open up in your Bibles to the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 are our special focus for today. And I'm going to be leading us through every one of those verses. So I just want to welcome you to open uh, your Bible and have that on your lap today so you can follow along. We'll also, for those of us who struggle with the small print, we'll also have the, uh, the words available on the projection uh, window uh, too. But before we jump in, let's bow our heads together and come before God in prayer. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. For many of us, it feels like at this time of the year, the volume knob in life gets dialed up quite a bit, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? It just feels like it gets louder and busier. And it feels sometimes like this great mysterious hand from someplace has reached down and and, and reached out and started poking the speed control on the treadmill of life. Beep, beep, beep. And that thing gets faster and faster. And we have to run harder and harder to keep up with it during this season. And, and for many of us, when we started out in the Advent season, our thought was this is going to be the best one ever. This is going to be the one where I'll really be able to take in the mystery and the majesty of Christmas and feel the peace and the joy. And then we get going and going. And after a while, it starts feeling like we're excited to get to Christmas Day, not as the culmination of the great celebration, because, but because it's the finish line we can collapse on the other side of finally and just catch our breath again. Is this just a preacher's disease or a, or a church musician's challenge or a retailer's nightmare? I don't know. But what I do know as I talk to people and as I study the culture beyond, and you perhaps do as well, is that this Advent season can become, this December time can become, one of the maddest and most life-destroying seasons, ironically, of all. Research suggests that there's more over-the-top drinking. Uh, There's more down-at-the-bottom depression. There's more out-and-out conflict within family life at this particular time of the year than at any other. It's the worst period for suicides. It's the hardest time for those who have lost loved ones during the past year. It's the toughest month for travelers. In fact, the usual garden variety road rage mutates at this time of the year into its Christmas cousin, parking space rage. Um, Actually, I think that that favorite song we so often hear on the radio this time of the year has it backwards. It's actually reindeer that ought to be worried about being run over by a grandma at the mall, uh, trying to knock off the last few items on the shopping list for the grandchildren. It really can be. Uh, just a, an intense time of year because all of the social and the personal expectations, which are frankly in our American society so high so much of the year anyway, all get even more cranked up during December. I, I read of this kid who had written one of those letters to Santa, you know, the heartwarming kind we enjoy reading this time of year. And this is how this one went. Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You didn't bring me anything good the year before that. Santa... 
This is your last chance. (laughs) Signed, Alfred. Handling Christmas is getting tougher for Santa as it is for all of us. Well, for these reasons and for more that I'm sure you could name, I think it is immensely important that we take time to stop and try to recover the wisdom at the heart of the original Christmas. Buried beneath all of our culture's Christmania, there is still to be found this absolutely staggering gift. And I think that if we can take it into our hands today and in these weeks to come, if we can really take that gift more deeply into our heart, we're going to find that we're not only able to handle Christmas this season more effectively, we're going to be able to handle whatever else comes at us in the seasons of the year ahead in a much wiser way. So to get at this particular gift, we're going to be looking all throughout this month and even through the first Sunday of January at how the people who faced the first Christmas handled it. How did the people that first were confronted with the circumstances of Christmas handle it? What can we learn from the way they handled it? And how can we apply that in our lives today? So today we're going to begin with the story uh, of the person to whom Christmas came first. The Bible says, and I quote Luke chapter 1, verse 26 here, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, that phrase, a descendant of David, is biblical shorthand. It's a reminder that once upon a time, life was better than it is now in Israel. There was a time when Israel was not under the heel of the boot of the Romans. Uh, they were not under the burdensome taxation of a foreign oppressor. Uh, they were not in the, in the place of turmoil that they were in the first century. There was a day when David sat on the throne of Israel. It was a day of, of hope and of prosperity and of life and of freedom in the, in the people's life. And, and they never stopped. The Israelites never stopped longing that there might come yet another day like the day of David. In fact, their prophecies said that one day there would come into the world a Messiah who would take the throne of David. And so when we read here this, this, this line about uh, Joseph being a descendant of David, those who are hearing the story, their ears perk up, perk up and they think, wow, does this have anything to do with that great hope? Does this have anything to do with the Messiah? So in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. Now let me pause here for just a moment and focus us on the very first words we read here. These words, in the sixth month, God, because they're not just a throwaway phrase here. There's actually a very important message uh, in this story about what it means to handle Christmas and indeed life itself. Mary would have been about 15 or 16 years old at this particular moment. Okay, that was the usual time when young women were betrothed to be married to someone else. And we were told here she'd just been betrothed. It was not the sixth month of that year in Mary's life to which the Bible is referring, however. It was not the sixth month of her betrothal to which the Bible is referring uh, either. In fact, it wasn't the sixth month of any schedule that Mary would likely have ever had on her personal handheld if she'd had one. And that is exactly the point. 
That is exactly the point that's being made here. The dating here of this entire encounter we're about to read about is relative to something that had happened outside of Mary's life altogether, outside of her field of vision, outside of her personal engagements. Six months earlier on, God had made an announcement to a relative of Mary's named Elizabeth. God had told Elizabeth that she was going to have a baby who would go on to become the advance man for that prophesied Messiah, that descendant of David. And the specification of the sixth month in this particular text is simply biblical shorthand for saying, and I quote, that at just the right time, at just the right time in the perfect flow of what God was already doing beyond the life of Mary, this next thing happened that caught up the story of little Mary in God's larger story. Now, why is this detail important? Well, to be perfectly blunt, it is because most of us, me included, live our lives with our nose to the calendar of what we are doing most of the time. It's just human nature. We spend a lot of our energy thinking about what we are doing, what we are planning to do, what we still need to get done. And this normal way of approaching life is what just gets ratcheted up, intensified during the Christmas season. Uh, this, this high internal focus. But ironically, it is exactly the opposite mentality from the one that we're invited into in the Christmas story. In other words, I think one of the most important functions of Christmas, if, and there are many other ones, but one of the most important ones is it, it calls us to shift our focus from the constant obsessive interest in what we are doing to that focus on the larger vision of what God is doing of what God wants to see, to see done, of what God has already uh, put into place. And this is essentially what Mary is being invited into. She's coming, uh, she's encountering a moment in her life when she's about to receive the news that God himself is working out uh, an agenda that is vastly greater than anything on her planning list that she is going to get to be part of but which will, to be part of it, actually play havoc with her list. Okay? So we go on in the story. The Bible says, and let's read this part aloud together. You can find it right here. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who were highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, 
is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, it's interesting to note that what the Bible says is how Mar- that Mary was greatly troubled at these words. And I think we can see why, if you think about it. Mary had gone through her life, as many people today still feel they are going through their life, largely uninterrupted by God. Oh, she'd certainly heard about God. I mean, she'd been raised in a Jewish family, right? I mean, she'd heard the deeds of God done down through Israel's history and all of the the great men and women who had had uh, Congress with God. Uh, She'd certainly heard religious leaders in her time talking about the kingdom of God and the rules of God and the traditions of God. But she, at 15 or 16 years of age, would have been forgiven, I suppose, for wondering what all of this really had to do with her. She was really a bystander. She would have felt, perhaps, a, a spectator at the things of God. She was just an ordinary person. But now this angel was coming and was saying to her that this was no longer going to be the case. That God had noticed her. God had actually highly favored her, the scripture tells us. And that God was now expecting something very significant from her. And that had to be somewhat disturbing, (laughs) I mean, like the, like, like, like the kid that, is, that sits in the back row quietly at school for the entire year or in the back row of the church quietly for the entire year and suddenly the preacher or the teacher reaches out and calls them by name and says, stand up, I've got something I'm asking of you. This is Mary here. And she gasps at this news. It was disturbing, I think, on a second level for Mary as well. She no doubt had some other plans for her life, (laughs) right? I mean, she was a virgin, we're told that, and she planned to stay that way, at least until the engagement with, uh, with Joseph was completed, the marriage consummated. She was going to be Joseph's wife. She had probably planned to settle down in Nazareth and raise an ordinary, normal family. She was going to have as simple and uncomplicated a life as she could construct for herself. She would do her best to stay out of the way of the Romans. She knew enough. You want to stay out of the way of those people, those soldiers. You don't want to, you just don't want to draw attention to yourself. And she would stay clear if she could from those overly religious people, the Pharisees, because around the Romans and those religious leaders, there was always so much bloodshed and so much controversy. And that was her plan. And now she was being told that she was going to bear some kind of a cosmic child who would drag her right in the midst of that political and spiritual and worldly turmoil. And a child not even of Joseph at all. What this fully meant, Mary couldn't possibly see. Mary, did you know, right? You know the song? No, she couldn't. I mean, she could see a little bit of it. She could certainly imagine the trouble it was going to create with her betrothed, with Joseph and with their families. But she could not know that this calling would require her in a short while to 
pick up stakes and leave Nazareth and flee away to Egypt to avoid a, the, the murderous intentions of a homicidal King Herod bent upon destroying that child. Mary could not understand that it would mean that one day she would stand upon a blood-stained hill and she would watch this child die in agony upon a cross. Mary couldn't possibly foresee the journey that she would make one early morning to an empty tomb or know that her son's life would change not just the history of little Israel, but the course of the history of planet Earth for all of time. Standing there in Nazareth that day, one thing had to have been very clear to Mary. If the messenger's words were true, life was about to get more complicated. I mean, a lot more complicated, more than she knew. And that, too, had to have been greatly troubling because none of this was anywhere on her life's shopping list, not on her seasonal plan list. Before the angel appeared, before Mary was met by what I'll simply call here the divine interruption, Mary had other plans. Do you understand that providence still works this way? Do you understand that? Do you understand that the plans of God are those things which come upon us in the midst of our other plans? On one level, I suppose what happened with Mary has nothing to do with us. It's a once in eternity event. Nobody else ever has or ever will be called upon to play the unique role in salvation history that Mary was called to play. Nobody else will ever be asked to bear the word made flesh in exactly the way that Mary was. But in another sense, the choice that was presented to Mary is presented to every single one of us every single week of our life. We're going along with our plans. We're out in the midst of some day or some place and our mind is on our to-do list and our heart is on our wish list and our soul and strength is bent on pursuing those carefully laid plans But then, all of a sudden, without warning, there comes the divine interruption. We hear this prompting. We feel this tugging. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know whether it's our own head, our imagination, God, a devil, what it is. It's prompting us, go and talk to that person. Find out what's happening in that life. See if you can come alongside that. And offer some support there. Do that in the workplace, at the church, in the community, in the hallway of your home. Go make contact there. Or maybe the word of the Lord says to us, I I want you to give something to meet that need. That those resources that I've been building up for you, that I've been entrusting to you, I I want you now. This is why. It's for this moment. I want you to do something about this. I want you to use some of those resources to help. Or, or I know you're nervous about where, the, where you'll get the next resource. Trust me. I'll give, it more. I'll give you more. Use the resources. Give to meet that need in my name. 
Or maybe the message from God is, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Call that person with whom you've got that broken relationship. I want you to cross the distance between you. I know how hard it is to cross vast distances. I've done it. I want you to cross this distance. I want you to confess. Ask for forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Maybe both. I know it'll be hard. Don't worry or not whether or not they reject you. <laughs> as far as it depends upon you, try and be at peace with that person. Just do what you can to repair the rec- relationship. Remember, I'm a reconciler. This is my way. I'm inviting you into my work. Or perhaps the word that comes to you is start praying for that person by name. That face that you see, that name that you learn, start praying. You may not know what's going on. You may not know why you're praying. Simply pray for my grace to be made manifest in that person's life. Because I'm going to use your prayers to bring forth something very good. Or God's word may be, I want you to go to that person, to him or to her, and encourage them in the use of their gifts. I know you look at them and you think they don't need it. They seem confident. They seem to be doing fine. I know their heart. They need the encouragement. Go to them. Tell them how blessed you are when they use that gift and encourage them to keep using it. Or the word may be, share the hope that lies within you. Tell somebody the story of what God is doing in your life. Or invite that person to come with you. Encourage them to to, to come to the great banquet that is the life of God's people. To meet him, to meet his family. The word of God may be, I want you to put away the work and spend some time with that child. Time is going fast. Don't blow it. This is the person I want you to invest in. Spend the time with that child. Or maybe the word to you in this busy season is, please remember, you're my child. You're my child. I love you. I want you not to run so hard. I want you to sit still. I want you to let my arms wrap around you. Because believe me, if you experience my rest, if you get to know me more deeply, you will be much more able to handle this season and everything that is to come than if you didn't. I don't know what the word of the Lord is to you. I don't need to know. God knows. The key thing is, can we listen for it? Will we hear it? Will we answer it when it comes? You know, one of the most interesting things about um, uh, church history is that when depicting Mary in portraits, medieval artists were fond of portraying her as having particularly large ears. Isn't that interesting? It's not because they didn't know how to draw proportional ears. It's because they were communicating something. What do you think they were communicating? That she was a hearer. That Mary was above all a hearer of the word. In fact, the message is that the organ of conception is first of all, the organ of reception, that there can be no bearing of the fruit of what God wants to do until it has been received, taken in. Mary was able to bear the word only because she could first hear the word. And the question is, how good are we at hearing the word? To be a hearer of the word of God requires one attribute or orientation of the heart that is 
frankly becoming as uncommon as public nativity displays are in our day. Hearing God's word requires great humility. It requires great humility. Some of us are greatly troubled in this area of our life. God tries to speak his word to us. He, he's been trying. But, but frankly, we've decided in our minds, how can this be? God wouldn't do that. <laughs> God wouldn't really speak to me. I mean, he may speak to preachers, to the Pope, to missionaries, but not to me. I'm more of a spectator at the things of God. I'm more of a sideline supporter of the things of God than somebody to whom he actually speaks and works directly through. And it sounds, when I say that, I hear myself saying it sometimes, it sounds like humility, but it is actually an unexamined form of pride. It's an outright denial of the very power of God. It's my way of saying he couldn't speak in a way that I would hear. He couldn't use me in that particular way. When the blazing message of the angel clearly is, friend, Dan, Mary, Fred, nothing's impossible with God. He could do it even through you. He may want to do it through you. More often, I think God is speaking, but we're not listening. If truth be told, a lot of us become content with remaining in the spectator seats when it comes to the dramatic work of God. God is every bit as eager and ready to speak his word into us as to anybody in the Christmas story. I mean, take that and think about that. You're no different than Mary or Joseph or any of the other people we're going to look at. He's every bit as eager to speak his word into us as he was to any of those people. He wants to see his life born in us and through us in all of the ways that I described in those earlier scenarios. But if we've got our plans and our lists and our fierce and fixed agendas from which we will not be distracted or dissuaded, if we're more focused on handling the stuff of Christmas than we are taking in the substance of Christmas, taking in the gift of his word, and the gift of his work through us, then we might miss out on the real glory of this season that helps us be ready for the seasons to come. Oh boy, did I get a reminder about this last night. I I had been at our church's Spirit Village Alternative Christmas Market all day. I had been on my feet for six hours. I had talked to a lot of people. It had taken me 30 minutes to go from point A to about 10 feet over there and get an orange juice. I wanted that orange juice. I looked at it for 30 minutes. But conversation after conversation after conversation, I was just beat. Amy's out of town this weekend, seeing her mom. I had the kids on my own. I even had the neighbor's kids for a little while. I got them finally into bed. Finally into bed. Uh, And I rushed for the bedroom to get into the, un, onto that big quilt and I, to lie down. And I lay down and just felt the, <sighs> I even closed the door of the bedroom before I went in. And I, suddenly I hear through the bedroom, coming through the bedroom door, dad, dad, I need to talk to you. And I just written this sermon about listening. Get up and I have bed and I walk in there 
into our youngest 10 year old's room. And what is it, Reed? And he says, Dad, he says, I really feel like talking tonight. <laughs> and I said, you do. Okay. All right. And so I just stretched out on his bed instead. And that led into this conversation about what he wanted to do with his life. I mean, ideas he had about his future that I would have completely missed. That I would have completely missed. God never fully tells us at the front end the full cost of following his word, of responding to the invitation. But he doesn't also tell us the full implications of the blessings that will flow from doing it. Every one of us, every day of our lives, are given an opportunity, not exactly like, but not totally unlike, the one that came to Mary. Here's the invitation. Can we be more receptive in these days ahead? Just these next couple of weeks. Can we think about raising that desire up in our hearts a bit? I want to be more receptive to hearing the promptings, hearing the call when it comes. Can I set aside? Can you set aside a little bit of time of quiet amidst all the jingle belling to actually hear, to get up maybe early and read the scripture or pray or go out this afternoon and walk in the woods Can we pay attention to the promptings that come from us? And even if we're tired, take that extra step to respond to them when they come. Let's remember again that God won't tell us everything that this will mean at the front end. But when he says in some way, I am favoring you with this interruption. Can you and I be among the kind of people who will respond humbly as Mary did and say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you can continue to catch up ordinary people in the extraordinary work of your kingdom. And we want to be in the flow, Lord. We do. We want to be caught up in the glorious work of your kingdom. So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to respond as your calling comes upon us in these days ahead. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.